0: forum on religion and public life as a report on islam and christianity and africans here particularly but we can all learn something from this 60 percent of christians across africa wanted to make the bible the bible god's word the official law of the land okay And and those of you that are Christian here may be thinking, yes, that's right. That's a good thing. The Bible should be the law of the land. But when we look at the statistic the other way, 63% of Muslims across the Africa favor making Sharia law the official law of the land. Now, why do I say that? It's because there's a tension in Africa. That there's a tension between Islam and Christianity in a broad sense. And if you've got one group of people wanting the Bible to be the law of the land, and one group of people wanting Sharia to be the law of the land, there is a tension. And this tension is probably a tension that you experience. And the statistics show this. Across Africa, and I'm sure none of you here are like that, but across Africa... 28% 28% of Christians say that most or all Muslims are hostile. Now what I have to say here is if you are a Muslim now, please don't take this personally. We love everyone that is here. This is just what some statistics are saying. We have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of this. And I want people here to be aware of this because this, this causes a problem. It causes a problem. You see, across Africa, and where many of you are from, you've seen and witnessed violence against Christians because of religion. And across Africa, 30. Percent of African Muslims say they favor the death penalty for someone when they leave Islam. Now it doesn't work out like that and we're very thankful. This is what people are thinking. And 30, 43% of Christians in in Africa see Muslims as violent. And, And you see what we have is, is attention. And I want to say especially to my African friends this morning, yes, that tension, that tension that you bring with you from your homeland experience can affect how you view the Cypriots here. It can affect how you view Islam in general. And and, and a buzzword in Europe and in America is this word, Islamophobia. I, I don't know if you've heard the word Islamophobia before. But basically it's the dislike or the prejudice against Muslims, especially as a political force. And and, and tragically there is a real thing and it fuels misunderstanding, it fuels suspicion, it fuels division, it fuels hatred and people that should be people together are being separated and, and, and they can think wrongly of each other. And so there is a hostility between the two religions. And tragically, tragically, and I say this to every Christian here, you see, we can pick that culture up in our hearts and our minds. And tragically, we can view our Muslim friends with suspicion and hostility and sometimes we can be Islamic phobic and that is not Christ-like. It is not Christ-like. Islamophobia is not a Christ-like quality. It's not taught in God's Word. And Islamophobia stops the Gospel and the good news being spread to the world. And so, friends, I want us to, to think of this seriously. Because we're here, and we're blessed to be here. And we live with lots of loving people around about us who are from the Islamic faith. And so, if you are going to share your faith with the local Cypriots, or I should have said, when you are going to share your faith with the local Cypriots, because we have to do this. It's not an if. You have to know about the local Cypriot's face. You have to know about the local Cypriot face. There are three things you have to do. And one of these things is you have to know about their face. Know about their face. Now, for many of you here, malaria is a real thing. Yeah? And for quite a few of you, if you asked how many people have had malaria, quite a lot of hands would go up. Now, for the successful treatment of an illness, the doctor needs to know what's happening, doesn't he? The doctor, he or she, needs to know what's going on. So I want you to imagine that you've got malaria. It's in a serious state of malaria, you're almost having delusions of pink elephants coming across. You're so hot and sweaty and shaky. And the doctor comes in to see you. And he's a wonderful English gentleman. And he looks at you and says, Oh, what's the matter? It's blatantly obvious you have malaria, but he's never seen malaria before. And as he looks at you and he then tells it, I've lived all my life in England and I've never seen malaria like this before. I've never treated the illness before. I've never even studied the disease. I never thought I needed to. Would you have any confidence in that doctor? Would you think this is the doctor that can help me in this situation? No. And so as we want to reach out, as we want to share our faith with uh, our Cypriot friends, we need to know something about their faith. We we need to know what is going on in their minds and why they think the way that they do. Uh, And we need to do this so that we can be respectful and so that we can be a blessing to these people that we love that are around and about us. 64% of Christians in Africa say they don't know much about Islam. When you don't know much about something, it fuels prejudice. It does. And maybe you guys don't know much about Christianity. Learn about it, yeah? It helps. The more we can understand of each other, it helps. And so, please listen up. And maybe some of you are experts. Maybe some of you come from the north of Africa, the north of Nigeria, and you possibly could teach me more about Islam than what I know. That could well be the case. But please listen up. Because we are here as guests. And we want to be respectful. And we want to be a blessing. And we need to be Christ-like. Now, this time, we're not going to make you an expert on Cypriots and, and their faith and their culture but I think we're going to gather some things that will help us not to be an offence. We personally, as individuals, should not be offensive in the way we share our faith. And so we want you to be prayerful about this. We want you to be able to talk about it. 76% of Christians in Africa say that they don't know much about Islam, but they also say that Islam and Christianity are very different. They're very different. And 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 that's where our Cypriot friends change, yes? When you speak to a lot of our Cypriot friends, they don't say that Islam and their faith is different. They'll say, oh, religions are very much the same. The God of uh, of one is the same as the God of another. We're all trying to do our best. We're all trying to, to make our way to heaven. We're all on the same thing. And, and there's no difference between one or the other. Well, there's a truth to a degree here. And there's a truth that's very different. Islam is is one of the three Abrahamic religions. Abraham, we could say, is the father of the Jew, he's the father of Islam, and he is the father of Christianity. Now, in reality, it's not quite as simple as that, but this is where these faiths originally come from in the eyes of the world. But for for Islam, Ishmael was the line that Allah chose. And we can read of Ishmael's birth in Genesis. And in God's sovereignty, he was born out of disobedience. As the Bible tells us, he was born out of a lack of faith. He was born into adversity. And the angel of the Lord said in Genesis 16 and verse 12, he said, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over his kinsmen. And so we have a similar Place where a similar person in history where we can trace back our roots to. And the two religions have got a lot in common in the Old Testament. A lot of the prophets in the Old Testament are similarly quoted and talked about in the Quran. We have Moses, we have Noah, we have lots of different ones there. And, and the Old Testament is important to the Muslim. And in many ways, Jesus is important to the Muslim. Most Muslims would call Jesus a prophet, but only a prophet. And in actual fact, and I don't know if you know this, but the Quran talks more about Jesus than it does about Muhammad. I I found that fascinating. And many of Jesus' miracles are, are recorded. And Jesus is even called the Messiah. And he was born of a virgin. And there's a passage in the Quran that links Jesus with the Word, just like the Gospel of John. Our Gospel of John reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus being there at creation. And apparently within the Quran, there's a similar passage that links Jesus to being the Word. And there's lots of similarities. But for our Muslim friends, Jesus is not God's son. And and that statement for them hurts them. It upsets them. They see that as blasphemy. They see that as sexual immorality. And so you have to be sensitive of how you share that truth. I'm not saying you don't Say it's a truth, it is a truth, because God's word tells us. But we need to be sensitive. They they don't believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity. And that's because for them there is one God. And so there can't be a Trinity. And it's very difficult for, for people to understand. It's very difficult for Christians to understand that we have God. And God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then people mistake that and say, well, you've got three gods. No, we haven't got three gods. We have one God, but three persons. And our tiny minds can't explain or understand that. We have to believe it. But that's not something that Muslims believe. They, they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. And they don't believe that he rose from the dead. And, and so that means, and this is a big difference... This is a really big difference. Jesus is not the way of salvation. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a good man. Jesus can give examples to us from Islam, but he is not the savior of the world. You see, for a Muslim and for a Cypriot thinking, they realize that what they want to do is they need to save themselves. And this is a difference between Christianity and all the religions in the world. True biblical Christianity is different because what Islam tells you, what a what a Cypriot will be doing, is they'll be thinking, I've got good that's going to go on this side of the scale, and I've got bad and sins that go on this side of the scale. And on the day of judgment, I'm hoping that my good is better than my bad. And in reality, there should be, there could be some of you here who think you're Christians and you're trusting the same thing. You could be here today thinking my good is what will give me salvation, and it's not. Our good can never be good enough. God is perfect. God is holy. God is without sin. God hates sin. And so even if there was only one little tiny weeny little, little diddly, diddly sin, that's enough for God to say, get out of my presence. And so the Cypriot, that they have five things that they want to do. And then there's a statement, and the statement is there is no God but God. Muhammad is the messenger of God, and that's central to Islam, and that's the profession of their faith. And then they should pray five times a day. The Cypriots, most of them under the age of 65, might pray twice a year. Yeah, And then when they get older and they're realizing that the clock's ticking and they're getting closer to a finish... Then they think we've got, to, we've got to fill the good basket up. And then they will start praying a bit more. My, my parents have lived here much longer than me, but I don't know more than a handful of Cypriots that pray five times a day. No? It's very few. But that's what they should be doing. And they should be giving alms. And the Cypriots are generous people. And, and, and when they do the Korban by Ram, that they will give to the poor, and, and they see that. And that's to gain them, to show that they're doing good. Fasting. Fasting in the month of Ramadan is, is one of the the five pillars of Islam. The profession of faith, the prayer, the giving of alms, and fasting. And, and again, with the Cypriots, the Turkish folk here, we don't see them fasting very much. Some older folk do, some others start uh, And then there's a pilgrimage. There needs to be a pilgrimage to the holy city of Mecca. And so these good deeds and others get put in the scale. And the hope is that by doing these things, it will outweigh the bad. But when you ask a Muslim friend, are you sure that you're going to heaven? Are you going to make it to heaven? They'll often say this, they'll say, God is good, and he is. God is good, amen to that. And they say, God is merciful, and we can say amen to that. But they have no certainty of going to heaven. Because it's all there in the hanging, in the balance. And and they hope that God, Allah, will show them mercy. Mercy but there's no means of grace. God is totally sovereign, and everything is down to kismet. And in Cypriot culture, you'll see them shrugging their shoulders, and they can be very fatalistic. I'll remember when I was a child uh, up in the village. I was playing football for one of the local teams then, and there'd been a huge thunderstorm. And the thunderstorm had flattened the crops. And I came from a farming background, and I know that when the crops are flattened, this is a bad thing. And I went past some of the farmers and they were in the coffee shop and they were drinking coffee as if nothing had happened. And I said to them, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. And they looked at me, sorry? Sorry about what? And I said, well, sorry about your crops. And they said, "Ah, oh, it's God's will. It's God's will. Now, it's, it's good to have a, 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 a relationship with God where God's will is at the center. But there's a fatalism there. And, and that comes through in the oh, simple it's, it's God's will. And so there's a God of total power, but sadly there's not love and grace. And so this, this understanding of God permeates the culture and it makes for uncertainty and it makes for fear and it makes for a lack true of hope. And we see the Cypriots, and what do the Cypriots love? They love stuff now. Because they can understand it. They can have hope in something now. They have a car. They have a house. They have a job. They have a business card. And it's got manager or director or whatever. And and they like those things. And they need to like those things. Because in honesty, they haven't got anything beyond it. And that's tragic. And, And that's sad. But that's where they are. So how do we reach these people? We see, if you're going to share your faith with Cypriots, local Cypriots, you have to love them. You have to love them. And that's why I said what I said at the beginning. Because sadly and tragically, this world is teaching us to be divided from one another and to be Islamophobic or thisophobic or thatophobic. And that is not Christ-like what Christ tells us to do is to love the people around about us and that's what you should be doing that's what I should be doing as God's people as children of God as Christians we should love them and there's three reasons we should love them and the first one is because God does John 3:16 from God's word in the New Testament this was Jesus speaking and he's speaking to Nicodemus, a religious man. And he said to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, that word world includes Cypriots. Cypriots. It includes people from Rwanda. It includes people from Nigeria. It includes people from any part of Africa, any part of the world. But for here, I want you to think about it like this. We should love our neighbours around about us because God does. And how did God demonstrate his love to the Turkish folk here on this island? How did God demonstrate his love to the world? But it says here that he gave his only son. Jesus was sent to this world on a rescue mission. You see, Islam and the other religions of the world have got something right. They see bad and they see good. And there will be a judgment day when our good and our bad is judged. But no one's good is good enough. And anyone's bad will condemn them. And we should all perish. But what Jesus said, what God has done, is he sent Jesus to this world so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is for all who believe in him. And that includes the local Cypriots. And that's an amazing thought for the local Cypriots because they've got a God in their mind's eye which is either of power or judgment, or they've got a God in their mind's eye which is money and getting things. And what does money do for you now in this culture, in this place, with inflation at 120%? It hurts. Is perishing. Is letting them down. And what they need is the love of God. And God is telling us that we should show his love to them. You see, God, it says in Romans 8, and, and the passage that we read, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he takes a bit further. In verse 10, he says, if While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Paul, who wrote that passage, was speaking to the Roman believers and is explaining to them how they came to faith and is saying, you were enemies with God. One sin makes you an enemy with God. You are enemies with God. But God loved this world so much that he sent his only son. And what is it we have to believe? And we have to believe that Christ died on the cross to pay the price of the sins of his people. In Islam there is the sacrifice of the lamb. And they give the lamb and and they hand it out to the poor. And it takes them so close to seeing something so, so special. You see, in the Old Testament, the lamb was killed to shed blood. And it was that shed blood that paid the price for people's sins. And what Jesus did when he came into this world was he took the sins of his people. And the punishment that we deserve was laid on him. And that is true love. And that is the love that God shows us. And that's the love that God shows his enemies. And if that's true for us, it's true for local Cypriots that can come to faith. And so we have to love them because God does. And secondly, we have to love them because Jesus told us to. Jesus did not tell us to be angry and cross against people that disagree with us. God didn't tell us to be Islamophobic. He didn't tell us to be anti-this or anti-that. He told us to love. And Jesus gave us this example when he was on this earth. When he was speaking to his disciples. and We read this passage earlier in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5. He's speaking to them. And he said, there's a saying, and the Turks love sayings, but this was a saying that used to go around then. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense, doesn't it? Love those close to you, hate your enemies. Yeah. There's, there's a logic, there's a human logic there. And it's 2,000 years old. But Jesus said to them, but I say to you, love your Enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, we have to love those around about us because Jesus told us to. And I know, African friend, it can be hard for you here. I know that there is racism, I know that that is ugly and hurtful. But you have to love those that do that. Because Christ did. And if Christ loves you so much to die on the cross for your sins, how can you say, I don't love you because you've upset me? Are you greater than God? No. And so this is counterculture. And that's why Jesus started with the saying of the day. He starts with the men's logic. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But that is not what is going on. That's not what we should be doing. That's not what Christ did on the cross. Christ let those people persecute him and kill him on the cross. And he gave up his life so that his people could be saved. So that we could have a hope. So that we could know God as our father. And Jesus is our saviour. And you see, we have to remember this because it doesn't make sense until you look at it in the context of the good news of the Bible. Jesus showed his love to his enemies on the cross. And it's an imperative. Christian friend, you have to love those around about you. Not just the nice cypriots that give you a discount on the rent. Not just the nice cyprits that help you get your grades at university. Not just the one that gives you a lift. You have to l- love the one that doesn't serve you in the queue like they should do. The one that you feel is cheating you out of something. We have to love them all. And we mustn't let any prejudice that we've got from elsewhere take us away. Because we have to love them. Because God does. We have to love them because Jesus told us to. But lastly on this heading, we have to love them because it speaks loudly. It speaks loudly to them. You see, our lives should be a living testimony of God's love. And there's no better way to demonstrate God's love than by showing it despite the pressures, despite the difficulties, despite the prejudice, showing them your unconditional love because Christ has loved you first. Hospitality is important to Cypriots. Show it to them. Teach them what jollof rice is. Let them burn their tongues on your peppery soup. Have them round. Enjoy them. Be with them. Respect and be polite to them. Don't just immediately think because you're African and because they're Cypriot, because you're from somewhere else and they're Cypriot, there'll be racism. They won't. You don't have to think like that. Listening to people is important. It's hard. It's difficult, but you need to listen to people. You need to show kindness to them. Being a good neighbor. If someone needs help with their bags taking in, take them in. If someone needs help getting something out of their car, help them. Be a considerate citizen. Be a diligent student. Be a diligent employee. Some of the people here have had the greatest opportunities of witness because they've worked hard. And Because they've worked hard, their colleagues have come here to services. Their friends have listened. And that's because they showed love in their attitude. We can love them by giving them a holy book. The New Testament, the angel is a holy book to them. And then they should be willing to receive it. And if you build a friendship, why not build a friendship and aim for Christmas? And at Christmas time, you can give them a New Testament. Give them an angel as a present. Have that as a target. Have that as an aim. You can show love by giving them a present, giving them God's word. And when you have opportunity, you need to explain that God's love means it's not about what you do that saves you. It's about what God has done that saves you. It's about Jesus coming to die for the sins of his people. And keep on loving them. And keep on loving them. Pastor Andrew, my Daphne, I've been loving them for over 35 years and they'll carry on loving them because that's what God has told them to do and that's what God is telling us to do as his people and don't be surprised if they have a dream of Jesus it happens and if they have a dream of Jesus say look this is where you can find out about him say I I gave you that present at Christmas go back to that book open it Find out about Jesus in that book. But you're only going to reach out to your local friends if you love them. And that's what I'd long for for us as a church, to be known as a church who loves. Not a church that hides themselves away, but a body of people that loves. When they come in here, they can sense love. When we go out there, they can sense a love because of what God has done for us and what God has done for his people in the Cypriots. And lastly, just to bring this together, if you're going to reach out to local Cypriots, you need to pray for them. You, you must pray for them. You see, we saw this last week. In that passage we were looking at last week, we had Nicodemus, didn't we? And, and he, came to, he came to Jesus and he wanted to find out well, he didn't want to find out. He came telling something, but Jesus knew that he wanted to find out about having eternal life. And, and, and Jesus was there, and Jesus spoke to him, and Jesus explained to him what it was all about. And, and he was told that he needed to be born again. And Nicodemus, how do I be born again? That's ridiculous. I'm a man. I can't be born again. And what Jesus was telling him, yes, you can't save yourself. Your bad is too bad. You can't save yourself. He was a religious man. He couldn't save himself. And you and your love will never save anybody. And you may have some great apologetics and really good ideas. And you may know the Bible inside out. And you may be able to quote every verse. And you may be able to answer every, every question somebody has. And you may have read the Koran a hundred times and you may be able to argue it inside out, but you will never save anybody. Because can you make someone be born again? No, you can't. But the Holy Spirit does the impossible. The Holy Spirit takes someone who doesn't love God And he makes them to love God. And maybe he uses your love to show them the way. Maybe he uses your knowledge to show them the way. And you see, what we need to do is we need to, in the one hand, show this love of God to the nation and the peoples that we're in. In the other hand, we need to be on our knees pleading with God. Because the only way people are going to come to know him is if the Holy Spirit works in their heart and their life and then bang, everything changes. Some of you are here today because the Holy Spirit's worked in your life and brought you here. In fact, I'd say we're all here because God's worked and brought us here. And that's an amazing thing. But we don't know where God is taking us And if you don't yet know God as your father, if you don't know Jesus is your savior, what God's word tells you to do is to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. And if you don't know this for yourself, you just need to say, God, I have sinned. I've messed up. I can't make myself right with you. But I know that Jesus died on the cross. I know that Jesus died for the sins of his people. May I be one of his people? May I have my sins forgiven? And God's word has promised that when we come to him like that and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And when that happens, it's because the Holy Spirit has worked. So those of us that are Christians, we need to be praying and pleading. And that's why the Tuesday evening prayer meeting is so important. That's where it's going to happen. If there's going to be a difference made in this world, it's because God's people will be praying for salvation. And the Holy Spirit will work in power. You see, we need to be praying that our friends will be saved. And the only way they will be saved is God's works, but we need to show their love. But also we have to remember that when somebody from this culture becomes a Christian, it becomes a very real challenge for them. It becomes a very real difficulty. And so we need to continue to pray for them because following Christ as a, as a local Cypriot could be very difficult. There can be challenges with family and friends. People can misunderstand it. There can be prejudice, the local history. There can be a negative attitude. And we can understand where these things come from and it can be a real challenge. And So just as much as we share our faith with local Cypriots and people around about us, as someone comes to faith, we must continue to pray for them because it's hard and it's difficult. but To bring this together now. God willing next Sunday we're going to have another sermon about reaching out. But This is probably my last one on reaching out at the moment. You can only reach out if you know Christ yourself. And so for some of you here, this last sort of five weeks has been, well, what's that been all about? Because you don't know Christ as your Savior. And so I want you just to think about that idea of the scales. On the day of judgment, where the scales going to go? You see, it doesn't matter how much good you do. You'll never be good enough for God by yourself. And the gospel is Jesus came to make people good enough. He scoops out all that mess on the bad side of scales. All that sin, all that filth, all that rottenness, the secret things that are in your heart that you hope are hidden away for eternity. And he takes them And he destroys them on the cross. And it's not your goodness that gets you into heaven. Because he takes that out. Because that's pretty rubbish as well. And he puts his own goodness in there. And Christ makes you as perfect as Christ. And that's the good news. And I want all of us to leave knowing that. And if you know that, I want you to leave so excited that you want to share it with others. Let's pray. Almighty God, we live in a world that's dark, a world that's in pain, a world that is hurting, a world that is broken and far from the world that you created, a world that has been defiled by sin. And Heavenly Father, each one of us here has to confess that we have been part of that defilement. We have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Almighty God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus came into this world. Thank you that you love this world so much that you sent Jesus. We thank you that we can have our sins forgiven through him, that he will take the price for us, that he will be the sacrificial lamb. Oh Lord God, for any who don't know that or understand it, I pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and lives right now and they will come to know Jesus as their saviour. And for those of us that do know it, oh Lord God, may it burn our hearts and get us excited again about what you've done for us. And may we be a light in this world and may we love those around about us like you have loved us. May we love our enemies. May we love our neighbors. May we love those around about us and may we love them to the degree that we share you and show them you. And we pray, oh Lord God, that you would work in power and might in this land and that people who are far from you would come to know you as their Savior and have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. We pay these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.